Hey again, welcome. It's again great to have you joining us for our Sunday gathering. My name is Al and I am the pastor of Perch.Church. And man, what a freaking crazy week it's been, right? Um, I, I really hope that this is the series finale of this crazy season called 2020. It began with what was supposed to be election day. Uh, but it turned into a whole week-long ordeal uh, of election week. Uh, many of you may remember what election day was like. It was a long, stressful, tense, uh, tense tension-filled day that would ultimately end on Tuesday night, knowing whom the next president-elect was going to be for the United States of America. But this year, Due to so many mail-in ballots and through uh, because of, you know, we want to avoid voter fraud and all of that stuff. Uh, it took a, a whole week. Right. And just last night or yesterday morning, we found out that, in fact, it was going to be Joe Biden, who will be our next president and Kamala Harris, who will be our next uh, vice president and first female president and uh, or female vice president and either president or vice president of Asian descent, which is very exciting for me as an Asian American. Uh, so whether you voted for Biden or Trump, uh, this week has been very stressful for everyone, just not knowing what's, what was going to happen and kind of looking at the way things are turning out. Uh, it might look like Trump is not going to go down without a fight, you know, he might not, you know, uh, leave the White House gracefully. And, you know, would you expect anything less from 2020? Uh, this year has definitely been the worst year of the 21st century so far. And I don't know if you remember, but it began, this 21st century began with 9-11, which was a, you know, 2001 was a pretty horrible year. Um, but still, uh, this year has been really, 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 really bad, really tough. And I don't know if any of you uh, are wondering this uh, like I am, but in the quiet moments of solitude and reflection and observation of this world, do you ever wonder this um, profound possibility to yourself? I don't belong here. I don't belong here. And I'm not talking about America, okay? Some people think that it's only about America and they think that moving to Canada will solve all their problems. But I think we all know that it won't, right? But there is something much more profound going on in the psyche of most human beings' minds and hearts right now in 2020 is that ultimately human beings don't belong here. We belong someplace else, somewhere better, right? Somewhere more suited for us. And I was thinking about this a lot more this week. And fortunately, I wasn't obsessing over my phone and looking at updates for the elections every day because um, I was moving. As you can see, my backdrop is different. This isn't a virtual backdrop. This is my new home. Uh, we moved from our old house to uh, this apartment building for now. Uh, who knows how long we'll be here. But um, and I was thinking about this a lot as I was in the process of moving and like carrying all these boxes out of my old house and into our new apartment. And I was thinking like, where am I ultimately going to end up? Right? Where am I ultimately going to find my permanent home? And 
I think about this on a ethereal spiritual level as well. And the Bible tells us that we don't belong here. It affirms this truth that we are ultimately citizens of heaven. And if we are citizens of heaven, why are we still here? There has to be a reason why if we are citizens of heaven, we still remain as residents of the earth. There has to be a reason why we are still here. Is it to learn? Is it to lead? Or is it something greater? This burning sense of I don't belong here points to a deeper existential problem that we face as humanity. And as much as we desperately want to like just put on earmuffs and pretend like nothing is happening, right? Uh, there is a reason why we're here. There is, a re there is a reason why we must remain. But one thing is for, for certain, we can't place all our hope and focus on what's here on earth. We ultimately need to place our focus on something else, on someone else. As our brother Hong just read, we are looking today at the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verses 15 through 21. Okay? Now, the book of Philippians was written by Apostle Paul uh, to the church in the city of Philippi in the first century. Now, Philippians is one of the several letters that was written by Apostle Paul known as the prison letters. As you can guess, Apostle Paul wrote the letter to the Philippians when he was imprisoned by the Roman Empire. And unlike his other prison, empire, uh, prison letters, he wrote when he was actually placed in a Roman prison, which was like a dungeon, right? Paul was placed, uh, uh, he, he wasn't placed in a Roman dungeon, okay? He was actually placed under house arrest at the home that he resided in near the city of Rome. This meant that Paul could freely write letters and he could even have visitors come and visit him as, at his home. And he even shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with various guards who came to watch over him during his arrest. But he did not know what his outcome was going to be, whether he was going to be taken from house arrest to a dungeon or if he was going to be executed. Um, and he was still in chains, literally in chains, waiting to hear his sentence, that whether he was going to be moved or uh, released or moved to an actual dungeon. But the way that he talked about his um, possible death was really interesting. He didn't really seem to be afraid of death whatsoever. Instead, he said, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Okay, those are some famous words from Paul. Okay, he says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he goes further to say, I am torn between the two. And he's talking about life or death. I desire to depart and be with Christ, but it is more necessary for me to remain here in the body. And these two words that Paul used in Philippians chapter 1 are very intriguing. Okay, First he said, I desire to depart and be with Christ. And this is the same word that is used when a ship leaves a dock on a shore. Okay? He didn't really see death so much as an end, but rather as a transition. And so, the other word that he used is remain, right? And this word remain is very interesting, uh, especially from where he's writing from, okay? Uh, which is he's under house arrest, 
which many of us might feel like we're under house arrest these days, being quarantined. But it's uh, synonymous with the word stuck or trapped. So when he's using the word remain, he's actually saying like, I feel stuck. I feel trapped here on this earth. Do any of you feel that way? That you feel stuck or trapped? Not just in your home, right? But on this freaking planet. And there's this part of Paul that deeply desires and longs to leave this earth and be united with God fully. But Paul also knew that there is a greater purpose for remaining here on earth. And this is one of the main messages that Paul wants to convey to the Christians who are living in the city of Philippi. Which brings us to today's passage in Philippians chapter 3. Paul introduces the recipients of this letter to this idea of citizenship. And that's really what we're focusing on today. This was something that the early Christians, as well as everyone in the Roman Empire, was very familiar with. In order to receive the benefits of a certain government, every person had to declare their citizenship to a certain government, kingdom, or empire. But citizenship was kind of a double-edged sword because along with privileges that came with citizenship, there also came obligation and responsibilities. You weren't expected to reap the fruits of citizenship without obliging to its many demands. As a citizen of a nation, you had to follow its laws uh, and its rules and its customs. But to put it simply, you had to pledge your allegiance to the nation where you had your citizenship. The Christians in Philippi were confused as to where they pledged their primary allegiance, whether it was to the empire of Rome or whether it was to their identity as followers of Jesus Christ. In the first century, it was very common and actually widely understood that Caesar was to be seen as Lord and Savior. That was actually his honorary title, that Caesar was Lord and Savior. This is why in the beginning of today's passage in verses 15 and 16, Paul said, all of us then who are mature, okay, he's talking about mature in faith, should take, uh, should take such a view of things. And if on point, and, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Now, Paul was reminding the Christians in Philippi, in the city of Philippi, to have the right perspective of life. Don't merely focus on the physical, but focus on the spiritual, the eternal, and heavenly things. But it's not for the sake of earning salvation. Paul clearly said that we have already attained salvation. Our place in heaven is secured and our identity as God's sons and daughters will never be changed. Right? So he's imploring the Christians in Philippi to live up to what you have already attained. Now, I'm going to do my best to condense over 2,000 years of church history into just a couple of minutes to give you a big picture of how we got to where we are today as a society. Okay. In the early church period, which was between the time of Christ and the 4th century, the main focus of the church was love. Okay, to put it in one simple term, it was love. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
love God with all your heart, mind, soul, the strength as Jesus commanded. All right. And this in the first, second and third century was a radical command. Love was not highly held. It was not cherished. It was not highly esteemed like it is in our culture today. Okay, love was kind of an afterthought. Okay, it really wasn't a priority. The things that people, humanity, like longed for and, and cared for the most were things like power and greed and hierarchy, okay, and social status, right? And now those things are still up on there in today's society, but really, like, love was not cherished that much at all. And so when you saw the early church gathering together, and fellowshipping with people whom they would never fellowship with, that was really radical, okay? That was really radical, and people did not think that was normal, right? And there was something odd about the early church um, when they behaved like this, all right? And it was sometime in the fourth century, okay, during the medieval church period, okay, now we're entering the medieval church period between the fourth century and the Reformation period in the 16th century, the main goal of the church was to lead, to lead okay and this all began with Constantine all right when Constantine became the first Roman Emperor to convert to Christianity to become uh, a Christian okay and so he immediately made it legal to be Christian because prior to that being a Christian was illegal in the Roman Empire and Constantine was the first one to actually make it legal not only that he made it his life's goal to proselytize the entire world with not only the Roman Empire but with Christianity and so he literally wanted to lead the entire world to Christ and bring the kingdom and when he thought um, bringing the kingdom of heaven here on earth as it is in heaven right he thought that literally like to kind of cover the world with this kind of kingdom and reign and power kind of mentality okay and the unfortunate downfall of this and then Constantine kind of indoctrinated his sons who would take over the Roman Empire to do the same thing okay uh, after his death in like the mid fourth century and now the problem with this is that it kind of made Christianity into um, a colonialism type of reign the goal wasn't to love okay even though that was uh, a very very important piece to it at that time okay the main goal was to lead the lead the world into heaven and then after uh, about over a thousand years of okay of this kind of like um, language and this kind of attitude and culture from the medieval church the main goal of the church became to learn okay and this all came out of the Reformation period okay because uh, there were some corruptions that were happening in the universal church, in the Catholic church, and people like Martin Luther, John Calvin, uh, and Zwingli, uh, and Arminius, um, they all wanted to change the rhetoric from lead to learn, okay? And Martin Luther, uh, the, the reformer Martin Luther, said this very famous saying, which was sola scriptura, Okay, sola scriptura in, in Latin, which means scripture alone. So that scripture, the Bible, was the ultimate authority, right? And, and so this is why, uh, this is how people started to translate the Bible, because the Bible was only written 
in the original languages, which was Hebrew and Greek, and also in Latin, right? So if you wanted to study the Bible, you had to learn Latin, which was very, very difficult to do as a commoner. And so uh, people started translating it into common languages like German and English and Spanish. Uh, and then also they started uh, mass printing the Bible for everyone to have, okay? And so this came about the printing press. And so this really brought about a change, not just in Christianity, but the entire world, because then the world became much more educated, right? And so the goal of the church became, from the Reformation period in like the 16th century, and till now, it became to learn, right? Learn scripture, learn about God, learn theology, okay? Uh, learning right and wrong, now, all of these things are good, okay? Leading others to Christ is good, all right? And, lead, and learning the Bible is good, okay? I went to graduate school to study this book, all right? And it, this is, you know, learning it is good. It's good for our faith. But what happens when you make leading the focus of your life? What happens when you make leading others to Christ the focus of your life and making love an afterthought? Well, then you get into problems like colonialism and like dominating others through power and influence rather than like genuine out of a heart of love. And what happens when learning becomes the ultimate goal of your faith and love becomes an afterthought? Well, then you drift into the risk of being too legalistic, right? So really, ultimately, what we have to do as a church moving forward in the 21st century okay this could be a new era for the early church and this is really why the focus and the vision of our church is to love jesus and love like jesus it's because ultimately we have to go back to our roots of the early church period which the focus should be all about love okay now Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, okay? And the way you could parse that out is like when he says he is the way, he is leading others to Christ, okay? There's nothing wrong with that. And when he says he is the truth, we need to learn. We need to learn what it means to be people of faith. But life, life cannot happen without love. We are called to lead people to Christ. And people like me, pastors, are called to teach people what, uh, to learn the Bible and learn what it means to be a people of faith. But most important of all, we are all called to love God and love our neighbors. And that is the ultimate goal of our faith. And that is why that is called the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It also says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these, the greatest of these is love. When learning is made a priority over love, faith becomes legalistic. When leading is made a priority over love, Christianity becomes empirical. The only way to bring about the true kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven is through love. Loving God with all our heart, mind soul and strength and so ultimately citizens of heaven are to focus on love citizens of heaven are to focus 
on love. That statement that I posed in the beginning of today's message, I don't belong here. Even though we don't belong here, uh, the fact remains that we're stuck here, okay? As much as uh, we all, like Apostle Paul said in today's passage, we all want to depart, right, and be fully united with God. Uh, but we, we remain here. We're stuck here. We're trapped here on earth, right? And one of the reasons why we are stuck here on earth is because we are called to love. Wherever we go, whomever we encounter, whatever lives we can touch, citizens of heaven are to focus on love. And this is why we are still stuck here. God wants his people to really make this world a better place. I mean, it's, it's kind of silly and it sounds maybe cheesy, but as citizens of heaven, we should make this world a better place to live. We are all wanderers. We are all voyagers. We are all vagabonds kind of passing through this place we call earth. But as we pass through this place, in the short time that we have here on this planet, we have the opportunity to leave it better than when we came. What good is it if a bunch of Christians live in this world and all we do is gather together with other Christians and just talk about what it means to be Christian without actually spreading that love of God to other people. Um, during uh, Joe Biden's speech yesterday, uh, one line that he said that I really loved uh, is that something that his like grandparents used to say, like his uh, grandfather used to tell him like, keep the faith. And then his grandma said, no, spread the faith. I love that saying, okay? And um, how, <laughs> how perfect is it that a woman is <laughs> correcting her husband <laughs> to the future president, right? Um, her, his grandpa said, keep the faith, but his grandmother said, no, spread the faith, okay? Um, God gave us his love, okay? And we experience his love in the relationship that we have as followers of Christ, but we are not just to keep that love to ourselves. We are to spread that love to everyone else love is the reason why we are still here on earth and going back to that statement I, I shared um, that kind of statement that we all kind of struggle with in the you know in our heart of hearts which is I don't belong here if we don't belong here what are we still doing here and citizens of heaven are to focus on love and the other focus that we are supposed to have is eternity Citizens of Heaven focus on eternity. Now, uh, look with me at uh, today's passage at verse um, 19. Apostle Paul says, Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Those who believe that this earth is all there is, they live mostly for earthly pleasures. This is what Paul is talking about when he said their God is their stomach. They are dominated by their appetites, their earthly appetites. And Paul is not only talking about food, okay? Um, Paul is talking about greed. Okay, he's talking about gluttony. He's talking about drunkenness. He's talking about adultery. He's talking about materialism. All of these, like, sins, okay, um, were not originally intended 
to be sins. Uh, food is good, okay? Uh, food, we need food to survive, right? But too much food is gluttony. Money, there's nothing wrong with money. We need money to live, all right? But wanting too much money turns into greed. Uh, alcohol, there's absolutely nothing wrong with alcohol. Back in the first century, people drank wine just as much, or if not more often, than they drank water because it was much more accessible and cleaner. Uh, but too much alcohol leads to drunkenness, which is bad. And adultery is just excessive sex or having sex in a, a context that is not appropriate, right? God is the one who invented sex. But when it's twisted and misused in a different way, uh, then it becomes wrong, right? So in many ways, um, all of these things are different forms of greed, okay? Wanting too much food, wanting too much money, wanting too much sex or inappropriate sex, right? And greed is... A form of idolatry idolatry is not necessarily always when you worship this like golden statue or an idol uh, a, a husband or wife can become an idol money can definitely become an idol and food can become an idol and this is typically what the enemy does he takes something that is good or intended for good and twist it and turn it into something evil right now we have our stomachs okay and we need our stomachs our stomachs tell us when we're hungry um, our bodies tell us when we need to rest you know and and when we need to drink water but when you make your stomach your God that is ultimately when you have made it an idol but you know we're still stuck with this question why are we still here why doesn't God just sweep us away and take us to heaven the moment we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the moment that we take that step of faith. And ultimately, it's because He wants others to know about this faith that we have, right? He wants others to realize that they belong to somewhere greater. They belong to someone greater, which is God, right? And we are to focus on the things that are eternal, right? The things of heaven, not the things of earth. Okay, we are supposed to focus on things like love, that we just shared okay or goodness gentleness patience we are stuck here okay because we are to share that same idea of focusing on eternity with others because Paul let's just take the example of Apostle Paul okay because let me close a couple apps okay and so that really is the reason why we are still here on earth is to focus on eternity and to have help others focus on eternity and ultimately citizens of heaven last but not least we are to focus on jesus as it says in verse 20 and 21 but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there the lord jesus christ who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. Jesus Christ, the Alpha and Omega. Jesus Christ, the Lion and the Lamb. While this week's presidential election was extremely important, uh, followers of Jesus Trump, Jesus is ultimately the focus of our hearts.
when the government's laws or demands don't oppose God's laws or demands, then you do what government tells you to do. This is why when someone asked Jesus if they should pay Roman taxes, Jesus said, of course you should pay Roman taxes. Give, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. But when the government is behaving in a way that contradicts the teachings of Jesus, you pledge your allegiance to Jesus first. So, I'm going to leave you with a challenge for this week. How is God challenging you to focus on love, eternity, and Jesus as a citizen of heaven? How is God challenging you to focus on love, eternity, and Jesus as a citizen of heaven? Wherever you are, okay? Uh, to your family, to your friends, to your uh, co-workers, whether in person or online. Okay, how is God challenging you to focus on love, eternity, and Jesus as a citizen of heaven? In closing, I want to share this one story, okay? I have to share this story because it has to do with uh, citizenship. Um, so I was born in South Korea, and I came here when I was really, really young, okay? And so I grew up in Los Angeles for my entire life, okay, for most of my life. So I always felt American, but I was uh, uh, always officially a Korean citizen until high school. But there was another, uh, but there, so there was a reason why, uh, there was a bigger reason why I really looked forward to becoming a U.S. citizen, okay? Because I had a really strange name, okay? When my parents came here, um, my Korean name is R, okay? Which is really difficult to pronounce for English speakers. Uh, because it's like has this rolling R sound and it's super short, right? So it's R. But the closest sound phonetically to that in English was Earl. And so when my parents came from Korea to America and they had to give me an English name, uh, they wanted to name me Earl, but they spelled it wrong. They spelled it E-A-L, okay? Because they thought the L was kind of like a rolling R sound or something. So my name was E-A-L from... Uh, from five, when I was five years old to like the middle of high school all right so I hated like do you remember like in elementary school like the first day of school like they did roll call right and whenever they went down the list of names um, they would say your name and you would say here or present right um, and, and whenever the teacher would go down the list of names and would pause oh, I knew that he or she was at my name right when uh, the teacher would go, Tiffany, Greg, John, and there, and then there's that inevitable pause and look of confusion, like, uh, eel, Yale, is there a Yale eel hand here? And I would raise my hand. I'm like, here, all sheepishly, like looking all <laughs> ashamed. But it was sometime in elementary school um, that uh, a friend, I don't even remember who was the first one to uh, call me this, but a friend of, uh, you know, someone like just first started calling me Al because they thought Eel was not a real name, which, you know, it, it isn't. Okay, let's be honest, right? Uh, and so um, I went by Al from elementary school all the way up until high school, right? Even though it was spelled E-A-L, right? And so the first day of school, like uh, whenever the teacher would, go down the roll call and we'll go Eel Han I would always go oh no it's pronounced Al 
the E is silent. The E is silent. Yes, thank you. Call me Al. And you know, in junior high, I, w I would hate the first day of school in junior high because you had to do this like six, seven times, right? When you had multiple classes in one day. Anyways, so like, I was really looking forward to becoming a U.S. citizen, right? Because I got to change my name, right? So it was the summer between 10th and 11th grade when uh, I became a U.S. citizen and I legally changed my name to Al Han, A-L-H-A-N, okay? Uh, that's when I legally changed my name to Al, right? So I, I, I love becoming a U.S. citizen because it meant that I got to change my name. You see, when we become followers of Jesus, when we become citizens of heaven, God changes our names. When I became a citizen of heaven, right, and I was no longer a citizen of this earth, God changed my name, my spiritual name, from sinner to son of God. I struggled so much with emotional and internal pain prior to my life with Christ you know and I'm still working through it but you know my life is far better with Jesus than without him right and God changed my name from depression to joy my name used to be forgotten one but now my name is remembered what was your name prior to meeting God and what is the new name that God is giving you as a citizen of heaven and for those of you who are participating right now who do not have a relationship with Christ God wants to give you a new name God wants to give you a new name would you take that invitation to join him Let's pray. Lord, we know that no matter who is seated in the Oval Office, Lord, you are ultimately seated in heaven and that you are the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And our allegiance, our, our primary allegiance will always be to you. Thank you for being the God of love, of eternity, and of Jesus. And Lord, help us to focus on the things a citizen of heaven should focus on and not be so consumed with the things of this world. And while we are called citizens of heaven, we know ultimately that we are stuck here <laughs> in this miserable floating rock called earth but while we are still here help us to act and live as citizens of heaven in the name of the father son and holy spirit we pray amen amen have a blessed and safe week